This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. I pledge to work hard to represent this community. I'm going to work across party lines to get things done for our community. To do my best over the next five months. That is the newly elected Green Party MP Paul Manley speaking last night, beat out six other candidates to win that Nanaimo Ladysmith federal by-election. And you know what? We've got a real federal election coming up in about six months' time. So was this a test run? And does it, you know, maybe portend things to come? Well, let's find out. Let's go to the soothsayer on this. Keith Baldry is with us now, Global (laughs) BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. What, you don't like that title? (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm right sometimes, but I'm wrong sometimes too. So, uh, there, maybe not so much. Well, we'll take we'll take it as it comes. Now, what about this one here? Was this what did you think was going to happen? Did we see this coming? Oh, I think so. Um, I didn't. Although, frankly, I didn't see the margin of victory to be quite as large as as it turned out to be. I actually thought the NDP was going to hold that riding after talking to you know sources in. in the other all camps basically uh, that the greens were going to be close, but I don't. I certainly think the NDP was caught off guard here by the by the magnitude of the green victory. The greens thought they were going to win. They had a poll. They were uh, sort of pushing around to the media that win by twelve points. It, I think everybody scoffed at that, saying that's that's crazy. Like, where's the evidence for that? Well, that turned out to be almost the margin of victory. So oh. um, it was a. Um, it was there for the Greens for the taking. Again, I, I had the NDP first and, and maybe the Conservatives and the, and the Greens vying for second place. But uh, no, the Greens uh, did very well. And in fact, the NDP was locked in a battle with the Conservatives, except it was for second place, not for first place. So this is a very impressive victory by the Greens. Uh, now, how you, what do you do with this? Yeah. How, far can you, how far can you extrapolate this across the country? I don't think you can. However, I do think uh, this is evidence that perhaps in pockets of the country, particularly in British Columbia, do not discount the Green Party. Um, they are a force that's coming on, not not um, dissipating. It's a, it's a growing party, not a shrinking one. And so you'll start looking at ridings where they could do well in, in the October election. Victoria, here in the capital, obviously has to come into play for the Greens. They almost... One, well, they finished a, a respectable second in 2015 to the NDP. The NDP incumbent, Marie Rankin, has, has uh, quit his seat, vacated his seat, not running again. So the incumbency uh, advantage for the NDP is no longer there, as it was no longer there in the Nanaimo Ladysmith. I think the Greens now become the favorite to win the Victoria riding uh, in 2015 at the expense of the NDP. Then you look at uh, people like Jody Wilson-Raybow yeah. and Jane Philpott. Does this make it much more attractive for them? Uh, the fact that Greens won so impressively for them to cross and run as Green candidates. I, I now think uh, the odds favor Jody Wilson-Raybow running for the Greens in Vancouver Granville. That puts that riding into play. So the Greens, I think, are going to pick up some seats. Not I'm not talking 20 or 30 seats, but enough seats to damage both the NDP and the Liberals uh, at the national level. And that brings into question whether or not this is enough to ensure Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives of a majority victory come October. Yeah, does it look like with something like this, you look at the landscape, and does it look like it's more fractured as we head toward that election? Oh, I think it's fractured, and the the uh, the public is volatile. The voters are volatile right now. Uh, I think there's, I've got a piece out this week saying there's mounting evidence. A lot of Canadians are angry at things. Uh, six of the last seven elections provincially in the last year and a half uh, have seen the incumbent government kicked out of office, uh, where people seem to be straying across uh, party lines to punish the government, 
to punish the establishment, to punish the status quo. And I think there was a bit of that going on last night in, in uh, Nanaimo, where it was uh, definitely a vote against the status quo. It wasn't uh, endorsing the NDP, the Liberals, or the Conservatives. No, it was the outsider party, the right. Green Party. And I think you're going to see a bit, uh, more of that uh, come the fall. Now, in places like Alberta, which is almost monolithic conservative territory, or even Saskatchewan and Manitoba, I don't think you're going to see the Greens necessarily do well. But in urban Toronto, uh, Metro Vancouver and the island, I think, and maybe parts of the Maritimes, they've got a shot to uh, to make a mark and, and pick up some seats. And again, that will come at the expense of both the Liberals and the NDP. The NDP has most to lose here because they've got a smaller pile of chips to play with. Yeah. Uh, they can't afford to lose seats. The Liberals can afford to lose a few, uh, but even there, they're getting into dangerous territory. But it's the NDP. If they if they lose a you know uh, even a, a handful of seats to the Greens, that's that's uh, potentially devastating for them. Is this also tricky for the Greens, though, Keith? Because does that mean that they're a protest vote? Like, do people really care about what the Green Party stands for, or is it just that you are not these other parties? Well, that that's a very good question. Um, you know, and I said last night on our on our coverage that one of the big mysteries we've been tracking for some time is who is the Green Party voter? Uh, what motivated yeah. them? Uh, what was it a protest vote in BC in 2017? I think it was a bit of that for uh, uh, protesting against Christy Clark. They didn't want to vote for the NDP, but they wanted to vote for something else, so they voted for the Greens to the point of 17 percent, which is significant. And some writers, the Green Party came second in 2017. So I think I think it is a, a, a protest vehicle uh, for many people. Uh, I think it's the party still hampered by its name. It, a lot of people think it's a one issue party when it's not. Um, although, you know, fighting climate action is its, its uh, climate change is its top priority issue. But it, it's a protest vehicle. And right now, being a protest vehicle is rather attractive to people because there's a lot to protest for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we saw that in 2017 where people were, were anxious about affordability. And they voted for the, you know, for the, the opposition, not for the government at that point. And again, this rising tide of anger and resentment which I, towards the incumbents and the status quo benefits a party like the Greens because they're not like anyone else. You can do a pox on all your houses by voting for the Greens. And I think that was a play in the Nanaimo as well. Okay, so then speaking of affordability and those kinds of issues, gas prices have been top of that list. We saw the Premier lately talking a lot about this. And what's he decided to do today? Like, what is the BC Utilities Commission going to do? Yeah, so the Premier had a talk with uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. We just got a, a statement from the, Prime, the Premier's office. Uh, he's asked uh, the, uh, Trudeau to talk with his officials to see what they can do. In the meantime, he's written a letter to the chair of the BC Utilities Commission asking for the commission to investigate, in, his, in the Premier's words, why gas prices are what they are in British Columbia, and to hold hearings, which is interesting, uh, and uh, on, on this issue and get uh, expert witness testimony. We're not talking about a public inquiry here. There's no powers of subpoena or anything like that. But the Utilities Commission does hold hearings all the time, and there are interveners, uh, experts who weighed in with uh, their submissions, and it'll be interesting that I would assume the Utilities Commission will take this up uh, as, a, as a task, and we will be getting hearings on why BC gas prices are the way they are. It doesn't necessarily mean to, that this will lead to some sort of relief at the pump, though. I mean, don't get your hopes up that this is going right. to uh, automatically result in some magic solution. I think the Utilities Commission will reveal it's a very, as you've had so many experts on your show, talk about how this is an incredibly complex issue, and there's a lot of factors to come into play. But I think it'll be welcome news if the, if the Utilities Commission holds hearings and provides sort of some transparency and clarity 
over why gas prices are what they are. That will be a public service. But uh, it's a bit of action by the Premier, but it doesn't mean that prices are going down anytime soon. Right. Is it a way to maybe change the discussion, though, away from drop the taxes, drop the taxes, to here's what the real problem is? I think so. And in, in his letter to the Utilities Commission, he makes it clear, the Premier makes it clear, uh, reducing taxes is not the answer. To, and that, ta- that taxes are not the problem here. He's still... Uh, sort of pointing a finger at the uh, at the the gas companies, the oil companies for for the big problems here. Interestingly enough, he keeps not in the letter. He doesn't use the word gouging, but he does refer to you know accusing oil companies of gouging when he has news conferences. But interestingly enough, in the in his government's own submission in court over why gas what affects gas prices and when they're fighting the Alberta. Uh, Alberta's Bill 12, he lists a number of reasons, but does not, the, the lawyers for the government do not mention the fact that there's an accusation of gas, uh, of, of price gouging going on. So it may, the gouging sounds nice politically. It doesn't seem to meet the test legally, and I don't think the, the, uh, the commission uh, right. will necessarily go there either. Okay, so we're going to be talking more about all those stories, but on a completely different note here, Keith, we are talking today about overrated tourist attractions. Oh. What is the most overrated tourist attraction that you've ever been to? Um, well, it's no longer in Victoria, but I had to take my kids there when they were little. It was the Undersea Gardens, which was this sort of oh. thing anch- anchored off the uh, the harbor here, where you went in and you went down into this grimy little tank. <laughs> um, and the windows were encrusted with algae. And a diver would be out there in the inner harbor holding up uh, an octopus and a starfish, and that was well, that was that was it. And I thought I'm paying what eleven bucks a head each here, uh, including my friends' kids. And I thought this is really something else. That a driver just holding a diver holding up a, a beleaguered <laughs> starfish, you could barely see him through the encrusted window. And thankfully, the thing is no more. It's been towed away. Twenty thirteen. I just looked it up while you were saying that, so it's been yeah, gone. It's, and maybe maybe it's a diving wreck somewhere and they sunk it or something because it served no purpose. Although it really did get the Japanese tourists um, I'll bet. by the troves. But, but local residents in Victoria, uh-uh. Not, That's a not good a one. Of that. it's, it was definitely uh, overrated. That's a good one. Most people are saying the Mona Lisa <laughs> or the CN Tower, but that's a really good one, too. <laughs> I like the Mona Lisa. Uh, CN Tower, eh. You know, yeah, uh, right? See, that's my feeling, too. You Could, sort of compare that to the Eiffel Tower, which is a real tower. There um, you go. It's more, more interesting. It is more interesting. <laughs> Keith, thank you. Okay, Zemi. We learned a little BC history on that one, too. I did not know about the Undersea Gardens. Turns out it had been there for almost 50 years when it closed in 2013. But Keith Baldry rating the Pacific Undersea Gardens the most overrated tourist attraction that he's ever been to. I don't blame him. I'm just reading about it right now and thinking, man, that really does sound kind of lame.